who do our lives belong to? That's, that's what you asked me, right? I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out, a monthly podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi Waskahika, on Treaty 6 territory. Each episode, I take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and then we find out the answers together. This episode, keep everything. Like a lot of young people who've semi-recently left the nest, my parents have held on to a bunch of my childhood belongings, and they've been, let's say, eager for me to deal with them. Being the historian laureate for the city, I work with archives a lot, which has made me realize that these kind of personal archives bring up a dilemma. What should we keep? What should we throw away? So in this episode, we're going to use a case study of these boxes my parents kept to try to get an answer to that question. It starts on a snowy November night, walking up to my dad and stepmom's house with my new assistant producer, Omar Salafu, greeted by my dad, Dave Phillips. Uh, well, I figured we'd just do a preliminary rifle through the boxes here. Oh, there might be some stuff that no one do that. So don't just get rid of it. Ideally, by the end of this episode, we'll have a strong defense of why I should uh, keep everything in these boxes forever. Exactly. Do you know what's in these boxes? No, briefly. I didn't go through everything. Okay. I have an idea. This is a, a blue Rubbermaid tub that is very dusty. I see a hat, a Dallas Stars hat. I don't even watch hockey. Hey, here's something. Okay, my agenda from my high school from, okay, 2002 to 2003. This was in grade 11. This is probably full of good stuff. Okay, some bad teenage poetry. Ooh, I took notes in the responsibilities section of the agenda on how what my responsibilities were. These are the areas in which I can be more reliable. Homework, being punctual, being prepared. <laughs> um, a lot of CDs. Did you ever make mixed CDs, Omar? I never did. That was way before my time. <laughs> how is it possible that you're that young? <laughs> Uh, an undelivered Valentine's Day card to my friend Shaylin. So, solid gold for this box. <laughs> Would anybody that we know want a stitch stuffed animal? Julie likes it. You'd have to ask her. Where's Julie right now? Upstairs. I will consider giving this to my sister as a preliminary, um preliminary finding uh a lot of goosebumps books did you ever read goosebumps i did yes still culturally relevant yes definitely reach for the milky way a pamphlet about alberta's school milk program oh no that's just the back (laughs) of a pamphlet about alberta's milk program (laughs) Wait, is that another copy of the milk guide? I think it's a double copy. Yeah, I have two copies of Callie the Cowbot 
the, uh, a comic about milk. Wait, the second one is your uh, collecting one, the first one is your reading one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Chris P. Journal number one from 1993. Again, I'm writing about Jurassic Park here. Dear Mr. Stacy, I am six years old. I live right beside here. My hobby is Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of JP toys, and here you can see that I've I've written JP in the stylized way that it was written on the side of the dinosaurs um, in the series, where the J and the P are merged. Mr. Stacy wrote back, Dear Christopher, welcome to grade two. Very happy to have you in my class. I hope that you have a great year. He's chosen not to comment on the fact that my hobby is a movie. <laughs> the third page is also, Dear Mr. Stacy, I saw Jurassic Park again. I have drawn Jurassic in the font that they use in the movie advertising. <laughs> more assorted children's games and wrapped in newspaper <gasps> I remember this uh, have you ever seen one of these no I have never seen one of those dad can you explain what this is it's a solar engine put it in the sunlight and it turns on from the power of the sun so yeah it, it's a what it looks like is sort of a light bulb with a glass base um, and inside there's a little sort of semi-hovering four-pointed thing that spins, and it spins because one side of each point is black and the other side is white, so one side of it gets hotter before the other, so it, yeah, spins. Is that my original one that I got when I was a child? I think so. I feel like I have a good sense of what's in these now. So I'm not, I'm just, this little pile of some things, which are not very personal, um, I'm going to see if Julie wants those. But everything else, I'm just going to keep as a, um, an open question until the end of the episode. Julie? Yeah? I got some stuff. What do you mean? This is Omar. You know, it was easier than I thought to start categorizing some of this stuff, even before we left the house. The mixed CDs and grade two writing seemed like good mementos to keep. The Stitch Doll, the toys, and the old books I didn't even recognize, I could probably safely give those away. The plastic Statue of Liberty Cup, the Valentines, and the pile of sticks, I could probably just chuck. But I thought I should get a professional perspective on this question from someone who actually does the work of winnowing donations to an archive, which is how I ended up meeting Braden Cannon at the Provincial Archives of Alberta in Edmonton. Looking down both ways, all the stuff on these pallets, all the stuff on these carts, this is all stuff that's come in relatively recently, um, but we haven't been able to do the first step in bringing it into our holdings, which is called accessioning it. So this is a recent donation that we received from Alberta Ballet. We have all the records of Alberta Ballet here. So this right here, it's a one pallet. It's an entire pallet stacked up uh, over four feet high. Braden is a private records archivist at the Provincial Archives. They collect any records that document the history of Alberta, whether it's from the government, NGOs, churches, schools, individuals. And that means he's one of the people who sorts through donations of records when they come in. And they can literally pile up when they do. Sometimes that's just because people have donated so much that 
takes a while to go through all their documents. <laughs> that's that's a big part of what we do here, <laughs> just sorting the the wheat from the chaff and and uh, yeah, getting rid of the or is it wheat from chaff? I think it's wheat from chaff. A lot of this might make it into their vaults eventually, but it just gives you a sense of why this issue matters. If you just keep everything and let somebody else figure out what's of value, you might be taking up valuable hallway space. Um, but yeah, just going through and sorting out what, what has what we call permanent value and what doesn't, quite simply. So I think a lot of people are initially surprised by how much archives throw out. Mm-hmm. Um, if people think about archives at all, they probably have the, the stereotypical images of dusty shelves and just pack rats. We just throw everything in there and forget about it. Um, but most of what comes across our doors, we throw out, uh, especially on the government side. Um, the sheer bulk of records that the government creates, like the vast majority of it does not get retained permanently. Um, there are legal obligations that are met, but beyond that, um, you know, the archivists work with the government ministries and they, they figure out what has permanent value and it's just, you know, maybe 5% of what the government creates. And the same goes with uh, private records, which is the site I work on. Um, when people come here with their boxes of family history that they've found in their attic or their basement or, or wherever, um, there's no telling what people accrue over the course of a lifetime or several generations of a family's life. And there's often no rhyme or reason to it. You know, whatever you're into is what you keep. Uh, are you one of the people who does that first cull when people drop off boxes? Yes, I, I am one of those people. So I would meet with donors. Either some Often people just come to us uh, unannounced and they have a, a box of something and they just want to see if we're interested. So that's at that first point of contact, we can kind of sift through it and, and say, uh, this we obviously don't want, those Eaton's catalogs or the tax returns from 20 years ago. Uh, that stuff we definitely don't want, and that's an easy call. Usually at the first point of contact, it's only the really obvious stuff that we won't take. Um, mostly we'll just say, you know what, just give, give us everything and we'll sort it out here, especially when people contact us and say, uh, you know, I've had, a member of the family has died and we're going through everything. We just stop them right there and say, you know what, we'll show up. Uh, we'll take everything because we don't want to get into a situation where people are, are kind of making choices for the archives and kind of have a, a skewed view of what has permanent value. And, and they might say, oh, you know, this, this box of correspondence, I mean, who knows what that's all about. Let's just get rid of that. But you know what, I think this, this, uh, you know, calendar from the 1930s is really interesting. So we'll, we'll send that to the archives. So we'd prefer to just say, just box it up or we'll come and bo- we'll box it up ourselves, but just please don't, don't start throwing things out. You do house calls. Oh yeah, we do house calls. Absolutely. Did, what did you study? Just out of curiosity? Um, I did my graduate degree in library and information studies. Did they ever cover like carrying boxes and how to pack stuff up into trucks? Yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, maybe not, not so funny, if anybody who's done any kind of uh, graduate work or any kind of post-secondary education and then enters the workforce, you know, and they've spent all their time on theory in school and then they get into the workforce and it's like, oh, well, yeah, a big part of the job is um, hauling things and packing things and, like, just being dirty and having to avoid, uh, you know, like... A hantavirus from mouse droppings, you know. <laughs> I wish I knew more about hantavirus, uh, and and just also interpersonal relations. A big part of the job is is building relationships with people and building a sense of trust. 
um, donor relations, a catch-all term we use, and that's not covered at all in grad school or in the literature at all. Uh, so that's something that if I were putting together a program, I would certainly put more emphasis on that kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so w what is the most common thing that people donate to the archives that you'd recommend they just throw away or shred? Records that existed in mass quantities, uh, even if it's 100 years old, it's not necessarily archival because archives, we collect unique records, records in all formats. So when I say records, I'm talking about textual records, photographs, films, videos, uh, negatives, slides, you name it. Anything that, that captures information or uh, documents an experience. Uh, um, so those, you know, flyers or, I mean, flyers can easily be archival, but those mail outs, mass mail outs from companies from 100 years ago, yeah, we could certainly collect one or two of those just as an example of what this particular business or organization was doing, um, but we don't need a stack of that kind of thing. Um, and we collect unique records that were created organically in the process of a person's personal life or in their, their business life, or whatever was they, the records that were created um, just doing what they do. So um, the specific example we're trying to use for this episode is three boxes of stuff that my parents gave me from um, their basement that they found of like stuff that I had when I was a kid. Some of it is um, stuff that's mass produced. Um, like we found uh, a comic book guide to why you should drink milk. Um, uh, some of it is stuff that I wrote when I was in like grade three. Uh, and some of it is like goosebumps books and stuff. So uh, where would you recommend that I start? Well, the most obvious thing are like the Goosebumps books, unless you really want them, you know. Um, you can keep them, that's fine. <laughs> but if you're trying to compile your, your family's records, that's, that's an obvious one, you can just get rid of that. Um, now, there are instances where there's publications that people bring in. The first thing I look for or ask about is marginalia. Did, did the person who owned this book write in it? Is there, are there notes in the, the margins, that sort of thing? Um, can we glean anything about this person as an individual through their ownership and reading of this book? If the answer is yes, then yeah, you can make a good case for keeping that. Um, but if it's no, no, then yeah, just just toss it aside. Um, the stuff that you did in third grade—that's strictly an emotional choice, I would say. Like, how, how much do you want to have to lug that stuff around for the rest of your life, basically? Um, because let's say 30 years from now, you're collecting a bunch of stuff and you want to donate it to the archives that documents your life. Um, the archivist looking at it would take a look at that third grade stuff and be like, uh, okay, maybe yes, maybe no. But if, if the answer is yes, it'll just all kind of go into one file and the file will be named like grade school work. And it'll exist there and it'll, it'll kind of put together some context of the history of your life, but nobody will ever look at it. <laughs> if somebody is studying you know, your life um, or something that you were involved in, that's just, it's there, it exists, it shows that you went to this school in, at this time, but nobody's gonna look at it. <laughs> it's purely a, an emotional choice, because if somebody really wanted to study uh, what was being taught in grade three at that time period, they're not gonna look for the students work, they're gonna look at the school boards and, and look at the curricula. 
Yeah, I mean, do you have any any like photo albums in there? Any correspondence? Um, There's a couple unsent Valentines. Oh, that could be interesting. Oh, we we definitely have Valentines in our in our holdings, um, just as examples of of how the holidays changed over the years and the types of of cards that people send. So yeah, those things have value. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily want every single. A Valentine or holiday card or birthday card that you have sent or received over the course of your life, um, but yeah, that that's certainly something we would take a look at. Uh, I wouldn't say just chuck that. You know, don't don't even bring that to us. Uh, it's a case by case type decision. Wow, that is really surprising to me. Out of everything in that list, that is the one that where I, where I was like, oh yeah, I, I like I did write on it, but. That's probably the least valuable. That's funny that that's the thing that you guys would be most likely <laughs> well, to look at. Yeah, like I said, it can be valuable. But, you know, more likely we'd want to keep it if it's signed, if it has more information, if it's dated, if it has a message in it, that sort of thing. Um, I don't want to give the impression that it's we have a rule book, that everything is set in stone, this is yes and this is no. There's, it's, there's a lot of decision-making that goes into archival appraisal. So the stuff that you're describing, your three boxes, it's not just a yay or nay kind of decision. It's, it's more than that. But based on what I've heard, it's, I think it here comes down more on the nay side of things in terms of donating to an archives. Um, doesn't mean it doesn't have value to your family or to you. So Braden was a little more cutthroat than I expected. I understood where he was coming from. But there was an emotional angle to this question that I wanted to get at, too. Some threads that I felt we left dangling on a previous trip to an archive, when we took our queer history road trip. In that episode, we went through a collection left behind by an English professor from the University of Alberta, J.T. Jones. And in his collection, we found some love letters from the 1950s from a man named Casimir Carter. Letters which, when we included them in the episode, outed them, of course. So not only was this information valuable, it raised some questions like, what happens when what you keep actually matters? Dave? Hi. Uh, Hi. This is my assistant producer, Omar. Hi. Our curiosity about that question brought us to the elevator in Francis and Dave Cruden's building and into their beautiful apartment filled with bookshelves and pictures and probably a dozen clocks along the walls. Hi, I'm Francis. I'm a scientist by trade, but I'm fascinated by local history. Hi, I'm Dave, and uh, I lived with Francis. <laughs> Francis and I connected after that queer history episode on a Facebook group, and she had some strong feelings about how JT would have felt about being out in our episode. Um, so... You had seen me post on the Facebook group, uh, the historical uh, Northern Alberta and Edmonton group, that I was working on this episode, and you mentioned that you had known JT, and you had some thoughts about what he would have thought about all this. So can you just tell me a little bit about like how you, how you knew JT um, back when uh, you were both living on the same block? Well, I said we were, we were living on the same block. Um, uh, we bought our house, had, we started up in... Just got married and just, you know, and I came out to Edmonton, David, or it was already here. And for the first year or so, we lived in Garneau Towers. <laughs> Have you been to Garneau Towers? No. Well, you know, it's just one of those sort of student-ridden places. And 
<laughs> and uh, then I fell pregnant and that was, you know, the ideal thing. Let's get a house. We were all excited about this. You know, it's his first house, moved in, um, first child. So uh, I didn't have much time to go and talk to the neighbours at all. And I, and I was talking with Dave about this. I think the first time I saw JT, I was out doing some gardening, which isn't usually my thing. But I was wearing a Oxford T-shirt. And he said, as he passed by, you know, the usual good good afternoon, that. I said, is that uh, your T-shirt or are you, have you borrowed it from your husband? I said, uh, <laughs> well, if you're asking whether I went to Oxford, yes, I did. <laughs> and so did my husband, as a matter of fact. Oh, he said. So many people wear them and they don't really have a right to do so. And then he just walked off and I thought, OK, this is not going to be the love of our life, but it'll be fine. <laughs> but as, as, as we got on, we got to know him better. And uh, he was a lot more uh, interested in talking to Dave than he was with me. I got the impression he wasn't that keen on women, actually, very much. Though he did once compliment Dave on having chosen a wife who always seems to be working. That's <laughs> who's <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I think irascible would be a good word for him. <laughs> when you knew JT, how much did you know about his love life? Nothing, except that we knew he wasn't married. And there were rumours. A lot of rumours. And, of course, we knew that, famously, uh, he didn't like women, and he certainly didn't like women students. And we knew the story of Juliet McBaster. Do you know Juliet McBaster? She's a university professor, retired now, in the English department, of course. And I think she did a master's degree first. And she then wanted to do a PhD. And there weren't many PhDs in those days. In fact, they were just starting the programmes. And uh, she was turned down flat by J.T. Jones, who said that it wasn't really... Women were not for PhDs. What? Yes. But J.T. was... was uh, he, as I said, he, he, was, he was interesting, you know. He, as I said, he was, he had, he was kind of irascible... Um, I couldn't help but like him. I thought he was, he was kind of fun. You you had just not to take the stuff personally, you know. <laughs> so you had mentioned uh, when we were chatting online that you yes. thought that JT would not have been pleased to have been outed um, on the podcast. Can you t tell me more about that? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's all a question of supposition and, and sort of following through. I know that when he uh, he lived with us and he became uh, increasingly frail. And now, I don't feel confident repeating exactly what Frances said here, but suffice it to say that she thought JT might have been taken advantage of later in his life, during the time he might have been deciding what documents to donate to the archives. So my question would be, what state was he in when he was putting away his papers? 
you know, was he, did he realize that he had put the stuff in there? Was it perhaps just there because it was a temporary place to put it? And, you know, he meant to get rid of it. So did he mean it to go to, to the archives? And uh, if so, was he aware that it was going to come up, you know, so close? Because it's really not that long ago since he, he left, and I suppose his nephew must be still alive. I'm just wondering, you know. I mean, these days it wouldn't matter at all, would it? But he would have all of that back history to him, and I'm, I just get the feeling that he would perhaps have hated it, quite frankly. Francis and Dave talked about JT as being the kind of person who was pretty intentional about what he kept. She said he kept some parts of his life very close to his chest, even from people that he knew well. Francis remembered going to JT's funeral and talking to a childhood friend of his, for example. He and Mary Macbeth, who were the, who was one of the daughters next door, were childhood friends. When he died, I drove Mary Macbeth to the funeral, <laughs> and we were talking outside with somebody or other, and somebody had said something about the fact that he was gay, and she was shocked to the core. She said she'd known him all her life and she didn't know that. Um, were we sure? And I, <laughs> I didn't want any bit of this, but the, uh, the other person was saying, oh yes, 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 you know. So, so that's something else to think about because they had known each other as kids and all the way through life. This all ties up nicely, I think, to, to my other um, motive for wanting to raise this is that I, I wanted to do an episode um, about what we keep and what we throw away, yeah. partly as an excuse to go through the exercise of, of trying to figure out what to keep and what to throw away of some of my own stuff. Um, Cause I, 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 I keep a lot of stuff. Um, yes. 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 I, so I dragged Omar to my parents' house yesterday, um, and we were going through three boxes of of just sort of assorted childhood debris. Um, some of which was literally debris. It was sticks, and I have no idea why I had a bundle of branches. Um, but some of it was like um, stories that I'd written as a kid. Some of it was books that I'd owned when I was a kid that don't really have any sentimental value. One of them was like a. Is this a, what you kept or what they kept for you? Uh, I don't think it was anything I intentionally kept. I think it was stuff that had sort of. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Your parents make a choice. You see, they're the first slice. Right. And then you go through this stuff and decide what you want to keep out of what they thought you wanted to keep. And we've done exactly the same thing with our kids. It's fascinating. And it goes on and on. And there are things now, when I last went through my stuff before we moved into this place, I found my very first paycheck. Very first one ever. <laughs> Which... I had kept somewhere and my mother had decided that she should be throwing away this box because it was Francis's box, you know. 
And so it goes. Having having gone through all this stuff of like, what did JT intend? What does it all mean? Um, what would he have been embarrassed by or not embarrassed by? What do you what what criteria would you suggest to me as I go through this process of trying to decide what to keep and what to throw away and what to like? What's that actually useful for anyone uh, trying to piece together my life maybe later on, or me trying to piece together my life later on? <laughs> I should say. Be circumspect as to what you write to people. <laughs> because um, what happened to me was that I, we, I, when I was in college, I, there was a group of friends that I was very close to. And uh, for, you know, once we left, we kept in contact, but we kind of went our different ways. And, and then um, after I retired, I got in contact with them again. I had to find them. A lot of them are moved, and it was kind of interesting, like a sort of detective story to figure out where they were. Uh, we got them all together, and we all got together and had a reunion. And it was great, but a wonderful time. Only one of them had kept every single letter she'd got from every single one of us. And she brought them, each one of them tied up, and it's a different colour ribbon. And there are these packages of letters. These are letters I'd written to her in my 20s, you know, late teens, early 20s. You know, students and that sort of stuff. I, just, I couldn't believe she'd have kept this stuff. You read it, it's so embarrassing, you know. You, you remember the thing. It's a bit like remembering when you had the strawberries and cream complexion, you know, white with the red splotches. It's just sort of... <laughs> and the thought of someone finding these in an archive somewhere just made my skin crawl. <laughs> I brought them back and burned them. Every single one. <laughs> getting some pushback on deciding to tell J.T. Jones and Casimir Carter's story on the podcast. We were lucky enough to get in contact with someone else, though, who had a totally different perspective on those love letters. And we were fortunate that he had an office on campus at the University of Alberta. All right, I'm David Lukowicz. I am the... Oh, jeez, how could I describe this? I am the... Well, Kaz is my, I suppose, great-uncle, my mom's uncle. So, um, yeah, he was from a much older generation than me, a couple generations removed. Um, and I work here at the University of Alberta as, as an assistant professor in the Department of Secondary Education. And, um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that there were remnants of his life in the archives here. How much did you know of your great uncle i have only a few sort of vivid memories of him um i remember he lived i think across in the parliament buildings in winnipeg um so i have one memory when i went and visited him and he took care of me for an afternoon or something and he brought me to a cafeteria um with a bunch of other elderly um patrons that were I don't know, it's kind of like a, like a day cafeteria, the kind that like we don't really see anymore. Um, and my, my last memory of him was when he was in a nursing home in Winnipeg, and um, really sad memory. I walked into the place, and, and he had peas dri dripping down his, his chin. He suffered from Alzheimer's, so 
So uh, and that's the last time that I saw him. Um, I have I have other memories that are, I think mostly are like from pictures that I've seen, not actually memories I have. But um, I always remember him as someone who was always by himself. You know, it was always Uncle Kaz by himself. There was no question of him having a partner, no question of him uh, really outside of the fact that he was by himself and probably came with my grandma, uh, his sister. And his sister was, um, um, I don't know if I gave you the context or if my mom did, but his sister was uh, a very religious person. And, but I mean, I feel like her religion was an excuse for the fact that she had some kind of undiagnosed mental illness. And she was, um, but she was very devoutly Catholic and um, dogmatically so. Yeah, so my memories of him were as, you know, a, a really nice guy. I know he has a history in the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. He um, has a number of, uh, or he had, he, he, was, he, he was a big, um, he loved classical, he, he loved classical music. He loved, he loved art. He, I actually think I have his copy of the Diary of Nijinsky here. Um, I have his, these are his uh, prints from uh, Will, like some William Blake's artwork that I put up in my office here. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I love classical music. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a ballet dancer, but I feel like we share a certain artistic affinity. We got in touch because right before that episode got published, I just, I thought, I'll just see what happens if I try to look for, um, the niece and nephew that are mentioned in, um, Casimir Carter's, uh, obituary just mm-hmm. just see what's what's out there and the very first match that i found for your mom's name his niece um was actually her mm-hmm. and i mentioned to her that i was uh working on this episode and i thought it would be fair to give your family a heads up um and uh and i asked if your mom knew that he was gay and uh she said she hadn't known it necessarily overtly like stated that way but they'd always had a hunch um what how did you what was your perception of this whole interaction (laughs) kind of playing i don't know i mean you know i think back to my childhood and and um as i get older i realize that there were obviously gay people in my family that my parents were friends with and this kind of thing but i mean i like up until say a decade ago or something, I would I, I, I would have thought to myself, um, wow, it's really strange that we didn't have any, that, 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 that there were no gay people around, right? And like, like where were they? But they were around. You just, um, like you said, um, people had hunches, but they just, I just decided not to say anything. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't really know. Um, I figured that my mom was probably very anxious about it because it's one of those, discussions that I think she probably didn't want to have. Um, I don't know why, but I mean, shame is obviously something that is present when she would talk about that aspect of her uncle. Thing is, I'm sure that it was more of a hunch. I'm sure that it was, I mean, I, I can't speak for her, but I it was it was, it, was, it, was, it was obvious. Like me looking back on who he was in retrospect, I'm like, wow, obviously he was gay. Like, like there's no doubt about it. Like, it, like everything makes sense in those terms. And I mean, even like I talked about um, his life uh, or when he was in the nursing home at the end, he had um, 
he he had uh, a friend who would visit him up up until his final days, and I tried to ask his sister about his friend, and um, and she wouldn't really tell me anything, and I had no idea why that was, but you know he obviously had compartmentalized his life in different ways, and that I mean. I guess I was part of his family life, and, and so that's where he was by himself and alone. And I, I don't know if he had a long-term partner in his life. I, I really have no idea. Um, I've tried to ask at certain times, um, and I don't know if it's knowledge that my family has or doesn't have, but I don't know. So, it's, so I mean, it, it is nice to know that there is some kind of material trace about that part of his life because those material traces are, are often just thrown away. sister came out in her mid-20s and I feel like we, 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 we also have a cousin who who has come out as gay and um, but I feel like for her other than him like 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 that was the only family member that she could talk to before she talked to me before she talked to like a direct family member about, about it and I feel like she probably did feel alone like she was the first you know and um, so so I'm, I'm so happy that these are being kept in the archives but um, I, I mean, I will also mention that, um, that my mom, when, when my grandma died, when my mom's mom died, um, she found a bunch of letters um, between Kaz and somebody else, maybe JT, maybe, maybe other people, I'm not sure. Um, and they were correspondences that apparently um, were very graphic in a sexual manner. I'm not, I wasn't privy to be able to see them. But, um, when she told me about this, she then told me that she destroyed them. She burned them. Um, and I was quite upset about that because I felt like, well, number one, though she was very close to him and she says that he was like a father, um, he is a relative to more than just her. Like, like he has... I'm also his relative. My sister is also his relative. There's a number of other people, and we should have had some kind of say into what to do with these, with these letters, because I'm sure that they could have been included in some kind of queer archive somewhere. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a trace of a past that allows people to know that 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 people like them have existed in the past, right? It made me really happy to know that these that these letters exist. And I mean, like when I found out about the like like when I saw that picture, I told you that I want to eventually make some kind of reproduction of it so I can frame it in my office because it's such a beautiful picture. Your story and your family's story yeah. it makes me think of this question of like who do our lives belong to really? Sure. I, I don't know like who, who do our lives belong to? The, all this stuff that, that we think is, is just about us. Yeah. Who is, it, who, who is it about? I don't know if this is an answerable question. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, it's really interesting because, I mean, I think of we all have parts of ourselves that I think we would rather remain private, right? Or that we only wanted to share with certain people. We all have parts of ourselves like that. We have public personas, private personas, and... What have you? Um, but I think when someone passes, I think it's fair game. <laughs> I really do. I mean, if someone has passed, then what? I think then people need to make sense of that person's life in relation to their own, and you can only do that if you have things that you can read 
And if you can't, if, if there's nothing to read, then everything is going to remain a mystery, and that's fine because then someone will make their own story. But it's nice to, um, it's it's nice to have something tangible that you can actually look at and dream with, because otherwise you're just left with like this gaping hole of um, just my own memories, which are fading anyway. About Kaz, say, right? I mean, I have like, this one day we went to the cafeteria. I don't know why that one day um, is in my memory. Maybe it's the one day that, that he took care of me. I'm not, I'm 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 not sure. Um, like maybe it was the only time that happened I'm not sure um, who do our lives belong to that's, that's what you asked me right um, I don't know I mean I guess on the one hand they do belong to our children and in that sense my sis- my mom was a sort of child of his he didn't have children and like I said she kind of he kind of stepped in as a father figure. Um, but I think also, given the fact that we have more than one life and that we may express ourselves differently to other, to different people, differently to different people, um, those other people should also have a stake in how that person is represented. Um, whether that be other family members or other people other cultural groups I don't know if it, it is unanswerable of course but um, but it's but it's a question that I think needs to be grappled with especially when you're dealing with the like the like the question of an archive and like what should be there because, because again not not everything can be saved obviously like like archivists need to make these decisions as well like what is kept what is not because you only have so much space um, but yeah I guess the question is could this be of value to someone later? Even someone that doesn't exist. And that's, again, another answer, un, another unanswerable question, right? But, like, would people in a future generation find this information of value? Would it tell them something about this time that perhaps they would not read in a general history book about the time that we're living in, right? Just looking at your office and, like, all the beautiful art and everything kind of in order, like... How much of, like, I guess the one truth of the cafeteria are knowing him as, like, a very individualistic person, mm-hmm. kind of by himself, Definitely. was an influence on your life now? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like to... There is also something interesting about the fact that, that when you don't know someone that well and that there are things that that you know that you will not know about them, it allows you to dream about that person in a way that wouldn't have been possible necessarily had I known him better, right? I mean, he died when I was young, and I can't do anything about that. Um, but, but I don't know. I I certainly do idealize him, right? I idealize him as as I idealize my grandfather as well, right? I I idealize them as people in my family that I think I really would have related to well, that we could have had good conversations with, we could have been friends, you know. And the fact that we weren't because they both passed when I was quite young. Um, I don't know, maybe it gives me something to live up to. Okay, so uh, we've talked to our expert witnesses um, with some advice on what to keep and what to throw away. Uh, What do you think are some of the things we've learned, Omar? I think that there is an official way of keeping things that is very clear within the archive mindset but then things can get messy and 
many things can mean different things for different people. So if there's something that is very personal to you, you never know how humans can connect with each other um, in a very meaningful way. Hmm. So, yeah. Maybe your third grade letters contain some <laughs> very interesting information that was meaningful for someone who also experienced things that you experienced. And maybe it's another Jurassic Park fan. <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm going to... I'm 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 gonna land somewhere between Braden's perspective from the archives and David's perspective, probably as as a descendant. Um, I think I'll probably keep most of the things that have some emotional value in terms of writing. Um, let's open up these boxes. Let's let's I'm gonna put these into three piles, and uh, we'll see how I feel now about what's inside them. Okay, sounds good. Okay, so this box I feel like is a way easier decision now. Um, this is mostly stuff to uh, throw away or give away. Um, the hat, give away. Um, the cup, throw away. The sticks, uh, definitely throw away. out some pages from a sketchbook that I'm going to keep and the rest I'm going to give away. Oh no, nobody's going to want this. Throw away. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to, uh, of the stuff that's left, I'm going to keep the things that are uh writing from when I was a kid but all the drawings probably I'm gonna give away or sorry I'm gonna throw those away because I'm not likely to turn out to be an Alex Jamvier in my old age <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I think that'll be my guiding principle going through these boxes I feel like I have learned that um to explore this question of what we should keep and what we should throw away, an important question to ask is, who are we keeping stuff for? Um, if we're keeping it purely for the kind of person who might visit archives to look through um, records from past generations, then there's maybe a more calculated decision there of, um, you know, you don't want to keep so much stuff that everything valuable gets buried under a mountain of junk. Um, you know, you don't want to keep so much stuff that those poor archivists have... Um, <laughs> endless boxes to sort through um but there is a chance that some of what we keep that uh captures who we are as people might be valuable to some future generations uh even if it's not people we're directly related to sometimes it's just people who um want to find out that there were people like them mm -hmm. yeah i think you never really know but making making a kind of 
introspective look at how you connect with other people and what kind of life you lived is is important and yeah sometimes that sometimes that involves keeping a lot of things sometimes that involves throwing away a lot of things <laughs> it all depends <laughs> Thanks for listening to Let's Find Out. This podcast is produced by Omar Salafu and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. We want your questions about Edmonton history? Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. And now you can also find us on Instagram. We're at Let's Find Out Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and letsfindoutpodcast.com. Okay, thank you, time. Thank you to Braden Cannon, Francis Cruden, Dave Cruden, and David Lukowicz. Thanks also to my family, Dave and Michelle and Noah and Julie Phillips. I appreciate you holding on to those boxes for so long. Thanks to the Edmonton Historical Board and the Edmonton Heritage Council for supporting this podcast. To everyone who's been supporting it, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the unbelievably lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. All right, that's it for this month. Until next time, keep your questions coming. <laughs>